Welcome to the King's Cast. Dynamic teaching recorded live at King's Church in Cambridge, England. We hope you are blessed and challenged by listening to the ministry today. And now, here's the broadcast. John chapter 18 and verse 1. It says this, When he had finished praying, Jesus left with his disciples and crossed the Kidron Valley. On the other side, (coughs) there was a garden. And he and his disciples went into it. Now, Judas, who betrayed him, knew the place. Because Jesus had often met there with his disciples. So Judas came to the garden, guiding a detachment of soldiers and some officials from the chief priests and the Pharisees. And they were carrying torches, lanterns, and weapons. Jesus, knowing all that was going to happen to him, went out and asked them, Who is it you want? Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. I am he, Jesus said. And Judas the traitor was standing there with them. When Jesus said, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. Again he asked them, Who is it you want? Jesus of Nazareth, they said. And Jesus answered, I told you that I am he. If you're looking for me, then let these men go. This happened so that the words he had spoken would be fulfilled. I've not lost one of those you gave me. Then Simon Peter, who had a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's servant, cutting off his right ear. The servant's name was Malchus. Jesus commanded Peter, put your sword away. Shall I not drink the cup the Father has given me? Then the detachment of soldiers with its commander and Jewish officials arrested Jesus. They bound him and brought him first to Annas, who was the father-in-law of Caiaphas, the high priest that year. And Caiaphas was the one who had advised the Jewish leaders that it would be good if one man died for the people. I'm glad that Jesus died for you and for me. Amen? Hallelujah. I want to talk to you this afternoon about the subject of prayer, the power of prayer, and prayer in our lives. The title of this message is Living on a Prayer. Living on a Prayer. John chapter 18 verse 1 says this, that when he, Jesus, had finished praying, then he left. He moved. He made his move towards, across the Kidron Valley, towards what we know as Gethsemane, the garden. And if you were to track back and look in John chapter 17, so the previous chapter before John chapter 18, you will see the prayer that Jesus just prayed. In fact, it's broken up into three sections. If you look in your Bible, it says that Jesus, first of all, prays for himself. Then he prays for his disciples. And then he prays, does anyone know, he prays for you, the future believers. The people who are going to believe in the future. So when we read here this little line that when he had finished praying, we know that we can read the prayer. You can go away and read that yourself and look at what Jesus prayed. I've got some news for you today that if in life sometimes you're wondering whether anyone cares or anyone's praying for you in your life, how many of you know today that Jesus is praying for you? 
this prayer was for you. You stand underneath that prayer. We walk underneath that prayer every day of our lives. But the Bible says in Hebrews that he continually intercedes for you at the right hand of the Father. So what we know today is that Jesus sets this example before he does anything in his life. Before he moves forward, he surrounds his life with prayer. This is Jesus. Now, if it's good enough for Jesus, then it better be good enough for us. Amen. And so we see that. If you look again in John chapter um, 16, you see that Jesus is talking about the trouble that's going to come. The title, if it breaks down in the NIV, it talks about the disciples' grief will be turned to joy. So it talks about the fact that Jesus is going to leave them. But it's going to be joyful. It's going to be amazing. Something good's going to come from this. In John chapter 15, it's talking about the fact that the Holy Spirit. And so we see this journey that Jesus leads up to. John chapter 18, verse 1, it says, When he had finished praying, then he moves. I want to encourage you, first of all, today is that before you make a move, make sure you surround it in prayer. Make sure that what you do in life, whether good or bad, whether difficult or easy, whether joyful or hard, is surrounded in prayer. It's surrounded by that life of prayer. You know, we've got a lot to learn as Christians Because some of us actually can take this view sometimes that if Jesus prays for us, if i got my friends praying for me and i got my prayer network, then I don't need to worry. So I'm just going to kind of live under that prayer shield. And let me tell you, you're going to live so long, but you can't rely on the prayers of others. You're going to be praying for yourself. You've got to develop that, not just for, for, for things to be answered, but for relationship to develop. Okay, so we need to make sure that relationship's developed. Now, years ago, I went to Sri Lanka on a, on a holiday, and every time we drove out on this tour we went on for three days, wherever we went in this, on this tour guide, the guy would jump out of the car, he was a Buddhist, he'd jump out of the car, and he'd run up to one of these Buddhist shrines, and he'd be sat praying. Then he'd get back in the car, and I'm like, why are you praying every time we stop at the side of the road? He'd say, I'm praying for the journey, that we'll be safe. I thought, Wow. Well, I probably need to pray then if you're praying to Buddha. You should be in that, if you'd have been in that van with me when we overtook on those roads, I thought my life was going to come to an end. And I'll tell you, it was scary stuff. And so this guy just said, I'm going to pray that we're going to be safe. So I thought, I better start praying. And I realized that he was frequently praying before he made a move. This is the Buddhist. Some Christians I don't even see praying. Some people don't want to pray. They think, oh, we don't need to do that. But listen to me. Prayer is important. If it's important for Jesus, it's important for you and for me before we make moves in our life and move forward. I was speaking to someone the other day on the phone and chatting to them and they wanted me to send some paperwork to them. And they said, they finished the call. And when he gets to the end of the call, he says to me, he said, he said, Mr. Shaw, if you need anything at all, any problem you have at all, don't hesitate to call. I'm like, wow, it's quite a good offer, isn't it? Do you want to pay the Do you want to pay the mortgage? I got a problem. The car's broke. I need two new tires. You said You said, Dave, that I could call you back with any problem. Don't hesitate. You've got to be careful what you say. I had a real temptation to call the guy back. Do you know? Do you know God wants you to call on Him? Jeremiah thirty-three three says, "Call to me, and I'll answer you and tell you great and unsearchable things you don't know." There's a request for you to call Him, to talk to Him. 
Psalm 145 says, those who call on the, on the Lord, will, he'll be near to them. And so God is, is requesting that we engage in this constant relationship. Jesus, I love the fact he's constantly in flow with communication with his Father through his life. And so if he does, then we need to be as well. He surrounds himself in prayer. Now, one of the greatest uh, texts on, I love on prayer is Philippians 4, verse 6 to 7. And it says this, do not, just get this in your spirit today, do not be anxious about anything. Now, I mean anything. I don't, I mean anything. It says anything, people. Okay? Now, some people think, oh, there's Jesus is only interested in a few things. He's only interested if it's to do with holy things. No, he's interested in your life. He's interested in anything that you want to bring to him. Don't be anxious about anything. But in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, bring your requests to God. Present your request to God. And the peace of God, verse 7, because seven's about perfection, so here it comes, the answer. Thank you, Dave Jones. Verse 7 says, And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, so you can't understand all this, so you'll never get it, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Now, now the thing is this, right? Many of us who pray and we ask God to help us in the situations that you face. And by the way, Jesus here is facing death. So he's facing, if you think you've got a problem with your boss at work tomorrow, you think you've got a few issues going on right now because you've got to pay the vet bill for your cat. You think you've got a few issues. Listen to me, Jesus. Praise because he is facing death. Do you know one thing I think sometimes is, I am amazed that Jesus functioned doing what he did, healing the people he did, doing the miracles he did, knowing that all he's going to do is go to the cross. I mean, it's amazing. Talk about function in ministry. It, all it ever does is encourage me. I think if Jesus did it, then I'm just going to carry on because I've got nothing to complain about. My troubles cannot match his troubles. So you think you've got problems. Every time I tell myself I've got a problem, I just think, it's, no, it's just nothing like Jesus. He faced everything. So he's facing the cross. And so what, what, what do we see here? Re- bring your prayers, your, your petitions, your prayers to him. All of these things. Now what we want is when we do that, we want the response to be, the promise or the progress, immediate promise or immediate progress. So we want an answer immediately. In fact, majority of the time when you bring your petitions and your requests to God, you've already got your answer sorted out. The strategy is there. I know what I want God to do for me. Now, there's nothing wrong with saying, God, this is what I want. But the reality is this. I think, I think our prayers would be better positioned if we say, this is the issue Can I put it into your hands that you will give me the right answer? The problem is we go with our petitions and prayers with the answer. Now the thing is, there's a difference here. And I put it here that the problem is sometimes prayer may not release the promise you desire. 
But it will always, get this, always, because the Bible tells us, it will always release the peace you require. So there's a difference. What you need sometimes is, is the peace, not the promise. What you need is, not not the progress, but the peace to sustain you towards the promise. And and some of us have got it all wrong. And so Jesus is trying to encourage us when we pray before he he goes across this Kidron Valley. That actually the reality is that we shouldn't worry. We should present these requests. And then you're going to actually walk in the peace that transcends all understanding. I want to tell you that God knows your tomorrow. So he knows everything what's going to happen. That doesn't mean we don't pray. It doesn't mean that if some of us can think, we've heard preaching on this here recently on the whole view of fate. And well, if that's the case, if God knows everything, then what's the point in praying? Do you know what I love is if you look at the story of Jesus turning the water into wine. That if you look at that story, people influence his his purpose, what he's doing. He says it's not my time yet, but yet he still does it. That's interesting, because what that tells me is that, that Jesus is open to us asking for things, even though it's not in his plan. Wow. He says, it's not my time yet. He does it, why? Because it will not affect his purpose that he's come for. And I believe that there are some things that God will give to you, as long as it doesn't change the ultimate primary purpose and plan. So when we, we, we want the desires of our heart, we need to delight in his will first. If we delight in his will and we delight in what he wants for our life, then when we ask for things, as long as it doesn't affect his purpose and his will, I believe he likes to bless us. It's when it affects his purpose and his will for our lives. That's what it's all about. So sometimes it's not that we manipulate God, but God loves it that we dare come to him as little children and say, God, can we have these things? And, and, he, inter- and, he, and, he, and he joins in on that whole process of that turning water into wine. I want to bring just a few things this afternoon to help you from this story. And the first is this. Through a life of prayer, our valleys become a stage for God's victory. Our valleys that we go through become a stage for God's victory. It says this, when he had finished praying, Jesus left with his disciples and he crossed the Kidron Valley. On the other side was a garden and he and his disciples went into it. Now, I want you to get this for for a moment because the, the scriptures tell us here that Jesus met his disciples in that garden regularly. It was a meeting place. This is a place of familiarity. It's a place of security. It's a place where they probably prayed together. So they knew this place. So Jesus is saying to them, and he's right there, and we we believe, looking at um, Luke chapter 22, Matthew chapter 26, that the account of of, of the, um, the, the garden of Gethsemane also shows us that just before he goes to the garden, it's the Last Supper. So we can actually probably guess that the John chapter 17 prayers that take place are around that Last Supper period, that point. So he's praying and he's with them in celebration mode. He's with them drinking and eating with Judas. But the next moment, he's, he's not just in, in the table celebrating, he's in tribulation drinking the cup of suffering. 
And so what does that tell us? We've got to pray in the table of celebration, but also in the place of suffering. Both places. Surrounding your life with prayer. So he sends them and they go across the Kidron Valley. And let me tell you, most of the time, if not always, in your life as a Christian, when God's got something better for you and he's going to take you into a season that's greater, he will always take you through a valley to train you. The Kidron Valley, they walk around this Kidron Valley towards a garden which is a place of familiarity. And they get to this place of security. Now, many of us, when we go through valley seasons... What happens is we believe that at the other side of this, I know where I'm going. I know where God's taking me. If I can just get through this valley and I can just get to that garden, because I know that garden was, was the, it's a place where it's comfortable. We, we met Jesus there a lot. We know where we're going here. It's tough, but we're nearly there. And some of you right now, you're in that period where you're traveling towards something you believe God has promised you. The problem is this. Some of us get to the garden... And it's not what we expected. So you get to the garden where you thought it was going to be safe. You thought it was secure. You thought it was a place where you normally met with Jesus and everything was fine. But the reality is, your valley just became extended. In fact, it got worse. So the garden that was once familiar, was once once secure. The place where you least expect it becomes the place of attack. Some of you right now are in that place. I just saw the other day the, on, on my, on my uh, Facebook when I scroll through, the Brexit calendar is extended. <laughs> now, someone said to me, don't preach politics. I ain't going to preach because I ain't going to tell you whether I'm in or out. It's none of your business. But I don't know whether I'm in or out because I'm in the middle. And this thing's just going on forever. It's going on forever. The valley season of Brexit has just extended. And no one knows what's going to happen after that. And and let me tell you, it's the same for you. In your mind, you have uh, this plan that God, an expectation that God was going to get you somewhere to a certain point, a certain time, a place of security, a place of blessing, a place where you've known Jesus has done things before. You got there and all of a sudden it's just like the valley's got extended. The time has just been changed as an extension to this and you're in, still in a place of uncertainty. That is a challenging place to be. Why? Because you put all your trust. You're, you can get angry with God at these places. Because when you get angry with God, you're angry because I didn't plan to come to this garden to get this kind of treatment, God. Jesus, why have you brought us here? Last time we were here, we were eating fish together, having a little prayer time together. Now look at it. And this is the problem. Now, what does Jesus teach them in Luke 22 and Matthew 26? He teaches them to what? To pray. So he prays before and he prays Then, he teaches them that prayer is essential when you're unsure. When you don't know what is going on. Now, I know it sounds quite simple, this, but the reality is true. Because some of us give up on prayer at these points. Why? Because our expectations weren't met. If your expectations don't get met, you give up on God sometimes. I mean, you ask Job, did his expectations get met? 
But he kept on trusting God. His wife wanted him to curse God and die. But he kept on trusting. And you keep on trusting and keep believing even in those places of adversity where you didn't expect it. And God will come through. Now the next thing that happens is this. They arrive there and Gethsemane attracts the enemy. Because it says this. Judas, the betrayer, who he's just had a meal with, so he's just been sat around the table, drinking and eating with him. Now it says that Judas knew the place. Let me tell you, Satan does know things about us. The devil, the enemy, knows things about us. Even, even look at Job. Have you considered my servant Job? He knows things, but it's limited. So he knows things. He knew the place where they met. So his strategy is, limited strategy, is to find Jesus. I'll find him in his place of vulnerability. I'll find him in his place of where he thinks it's secure. I'll find him in his place where he's not ready for this. And let me tell you, the devil will always try to steal and come in and rob your meeting place with God. Now, he comes with, cl- with the swords and the lanterns and all this kind of stuff and weapons. Let me tell you, tomorrow, you are not going to find that the enemy is going to come at you with a weapon, with a big sword, telling you not to go into the prayer closet. But what he will do is this. He will drive us to a place where busyness is more attractive than spending time with Jesus. So what happens is, he threatens your meeting place. The best place he can threaten, he can't take away, he cannot steal your faith can't steal it from you. But what he does is he increases, attracts us to other things. Busyness becomes our attraction. So what we do is it's our meeting place with God. Instead of spending time in the solitary place, we spend time doing other things. Before you know it, the meeting place, the Gethsemane, the place of meeting, is attacked. When it's attacked, if he attacks that, he knows he attacks the solitary place. The very place which is foundational for your relationship with him. With God. Hallelujah. So Gethsemane attracts the enemy. It says, now Judas who betrayed him knew the place because Jesus had often met there with his disciples. Now busyness is something that is going to try and steal you. Steal this place. Even Jesus' disciples in Mark chapter 1 verse 37, he's gone off to the solitary place, the quiet place. And when he goes off to the quiet place, His disciples even come looking for him and they said this to him. Jesus, we know you're spending time with the Father, but everyone's looking for you. They all need you. There's there's some some people who are broken. There's some people who need healing. You know you did all those miracles. You've got to come back. Interesting because the disciples tried to pull him away from spending time with his father. Do you know that sometimes business in ministry and church can pull you away from the solitary time with the Lord, which is more essential? So, so do you know what? The devil can use some people sometimes in busyness. To steal the meeting place. If you steal the meeting place, what you will do is you'll fulfill the calendar, but you won't fulfill the time with him. You'll get lots of stuff done, but the fruit is based on proving you can do this now. And I'm telling you, we've got a, a real danger is he's getting too busy for the Lord. 
That's why we need to rest, isn't it, as well? Yes, Phil. <laughs> you need to preach it. Okay, I am. I receive that. Ouch. <laughs> Praise God. Sometimes our places of security, then places of familiarity, they're met by adversity. So what happens is we get the places where we least expected. I was waiting for this garden to be the place. My valley had ended. The Kidron Valley, I've got there, Jesus. We've been here before. This is getting worse. Brexit's extended. I'm here now. You know, a few years ago, we went on holiday to Fuerteventura. I booked the holiday. went on the website. I don't know if you've ever done this, but I went on, I booked it all, got the pictures of the hotel. We arrived there, and we walked down on the evening. You know that first night when you arrive on holiday, and you're trying, to, you're trying to settle in, looking like you've been there a week, but you haven't. You're trying to work out. You've, you, you haven't got a tan yet, so no one really... You're just trying to settle in and integrate in. You think, a couple of days in, people think I'm a regular. And I walked down to the front to see the beach that was in the pictures. And I had the shock of my life. Because Bob the Builder was on there. I walked on that beach and 50% of that beach to the right hand side was covered in diggers with no sand. The left looked beautiful. The left was where they took the picture. The left was what I saw. That's what I saw in the picture. They never told me that there were going to be diggers. They never told me that that beach never existed. That they were building the beach. We got there. What did I do every day? We went down there. I just looked left. I said, kids, look left. Put your towel over there. But dad, why is there a digger on the beach? Well, you said you wanted to go to Diggerland. Have a good long hard look. It's free. But listen, some of us get to places that we thought were going to be good. This is the end of the valley. It's the end of the valley. That's where we've been before. We, we know them places. Familiar, secure. Do you know why... These places of security and familiarity get attacked and God allows it because it will build your character. Because what happens is you, th- you have put your trust in the place rather than him. They, Jesus wanted them to trust him, not the safety of that garden. And when we get into a place when we can only trust him, it's the best place we can be. It's the best place we can be. Now, it's a scary place. Don't get me wrong. Scary. But it's the best place that you and me can find ourselves in when everything is stripped away. Because if our expectations, if everything's based on our expectations, it limits our perception of what God wants to do. It will limit what God wants to do. And and, and let me tell you that God doesn't just want to meet your expectations, he wants to exceed them. He wants to go above and beyond. Ephesians 3.20, immeasurably more than all we could ever ask or imagine. Wow. So he's saying, I don't want you to think that Gethsemane is the answer. I don't want you to think that them places of comfort are the answer. I want you to think bigger than that. In fact, think so that you can't even imagine what it's going to be. Your promise at the other side of this valley is bigger than what you planned. Hallelujah. Number two is this, through a life of prayer, God's wisdom, I love this, God's wisdom becomes our weapon. 
It's our weapon of choice. It's our weapon of choice. Verse 3 says this, Judas came to the garden, so he didn't only just know and have a little bit of limited information. He says he came to the garden guiding a detachment of soldiers and some officials from the chief priests and the Pharisees, and they were carrying torches, lanterns, and weapons. Now get this, Judas, he's not just coming along trying to find Jesus on his own. He is guiding this whole team of people. Now we're we're talking soldiers, we're talking officials, it says, Pharisees and chief priests. Judas is like, I need some support. I need authority. And when I get there, I know that Jesus, he starts coming out with some good lines. He starts coming out with some things that I don't know if I can answer. So if I take on some chief priests with me, if I take some Pharisees, they'll answer the religious questions. We'll get him. We'll trap him. I need some soldiers because I need some strength and support. I need some officials to show that I'm in authority. I've got authority on my side. And so he goes and he guides these people in. And he takes them there. And he says that they're carrying weapons. There are people right now in your life that you're dealing with that are coming against you. And what you see is, if you look in the natural is, that they, ha- they have more uh, religious, um, I guess, the intellectualism than you do. They know more than you do. They might know things more than you do. There's some people who are coming against you in official positions. There's some people who are coming against you and they're using weapons. And they're not weapons that are in their hands. They're weapons of words. And so when you go into your week next week, you you know that these people are coming in this valley that you're in right now. And they're going to come against you. Now the question is, when this happens, what do you do? What do you do? How do we respond when people come and attack us in this way? You see, what I find interesting is these people should have been on Jesus' side, especially Judas. Now, I think that when Jesus sees all these people and they see them, if there's any one out of all these that's going to hurt him more, it's Judas. Man, I was... I was eating with you. We were eating together. We've hung around. You've been with me. We did life together. Now look. Forget the weapons. Forget the officials. Judas. What? Betrayal is one of the hardest things to deal with. Because these are the people, let alone the place that you least expect, but the people you least expect. Now we're talking people now. These people should not do this to me. And there are people right now in your life that have betrayed you, that have hurt you, that have said things to you. And these people right now are in your mind. They're coming to your mind right now. But I want to tell you, your answer is not a weapon. Your answer is not a weapon. The battle belongs to who? Not you. The Lord. Hallelujah. Preach it. It belongs to Jesus. It belongs to God. It doesn't belong to you. Stop trying to do everything yourself. So it belongs to him. Now, why does it belong to him? Because get this, and this is a wonderful thing to see. It says that Jesus, in verse 4, 
knowing all that was going to happen to him. He knows everything. He can see everything. So he has the intelligence to know who is going to appear when and where. Let me put it like this. Jesus knows the script. You see, Judas knew the place. Jesus knows everything. You get scared when your enemy seems to know a little bit about your situation that scares you. They throw in a bit of authority. They throw in some weapons. Before you know it, you're crying and you're running away. But Jesus wants you to know today, he might know a little bit. He might know the place, but I know everything. In fact, I wrote it. I know the book. I know the days. Psalm 139, all the days ordained for you were written in his book before one of them came to be. So in other words, every day you live, he knows the scene. He knows the characters. He knows their positions. Have you ever been in a theater and they've got marked positions on the floor? Have you ever been in the West End when someone pops up out of the floor and smoke comes and they've got little things that make them pop onto the stage? And I always think, it's a good job you're stood right in the right place for that moment. Everyone's positioned. God has positioned them. So he knows what's happening. Now what do they do? This is the first thing they do. They let Jesus go to them. Jesus goes out to this group. So he stands there. He says, who are you looking for? Even though he already knows. Because he knew everything. I said, I love Jesus. I'll just test them out. Who are you looking for? We're looking for Jesus of Nazareth. I'm he. Before you know it, they've fallen down on the ground. He asked them a second time, you'd think they'd learn the lesson. And they'd just, you know, say, oh, don't, don't do that again, don't do that again. But they fall down to the ground. Listen to me, a lesson for you. When you in your prayer life, because by the way, we know that he teaches them to pray in the garden. That's the emphasis. When you're in this place, this position of struggle, pray because your spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. So pray, you don't fall into temptation. Now, when these seasons come, the best thing to do is to put God's wisdom before yours. Put Jesus up front. Let him go in front. Let him go to the front. When he goes to the front, he deals with the problems far better. In fact, let me put it like this. Whenever you put Jesus first, which means getting to your knees rather than getting your weapons out, when you go to your knees, it will make your enemy fall to the ground. The problem is, we're up there saying, no, I've got a plan, I've got a strategy. Come on, I'll take you on. I've got an idea, I can do all this, I need to sort you out over there. Oh, hang on a sec, there's another character just running. Another person with a sword over here. Oh, there's you as well, you're an official. Before you know it, you've lost control. He knows every one of them, the positions. You know, years ago when I was working in a company I worked for, they used to develop different um, technologies. And one of the technologies was they could have a, a device that you stuck onto a wall, this big unit, you put it on the wall, and you could see through the walls. I mean, you want one of those, don't you? Take it to work tomorrow. The see-through walls... 
This thing worked. I saw it work. It didn't have a picture of the person, but it had a dot. So you could see in the room, the physical room, the, di- the dimensions of a room, the dots would move around for the people positioned. And it was for, they developed these things and they sold them to the SAS and the police. So they'd spend thousands to buy these devices that this company paid for. And I used to be playing around with them and saying, oh, let me test it out. And on the screen, you'd see dots moving around. And then the dot would change color if the person laid on the floor. So they'd determine who's the hostage and who's the person, the terrorist. So it was an amazing device. Thousands and thousands. So I used to sit with the engineers and say, is there any problems with this? Is, it, is there any, anything that it can't do? And he'd say, well, the problem is, is if, if you're in a metal building, it won't work. I'm like, if you're in a metal building, it won't work? Don't put that in the instruction manual. Did the terrorists see that? I said, what? So you're saying to me, if I wrap myself in tinfoil, this thing don't work? He said, no, it won't pick you up. It can't detect metal. I'm like, wow. Do you know something? There's nothing that misses Jesus' detection. Nothing. The enemy can't pull the wool over his eyes and and throw in another character who comes in and destroys your life because he knows everything. Now, if he knows everything, he represents his father who has all the wisdom. And today, let me tell you, the Bible says that we have the mind of Christ. We We can have access to what the Bible calls the manifold wisdom of God. In James chapter 1, it says this, verse 5, if any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and what? He might give it to you. No, it will be given to you. Wow. The enemy doesn't want you to know this. Why? Because access to his wisdom is a greater weapon than a club and a sword and something you can say. Wisdom sometimes is closing this. Wisdom sometimes is not doing a thing. Wisdom sometimes is being still and waiting for God to act. That is far better than you running in and doing something. So let me tell you, the the wisdom of God is available to you. It is your weapon in these seasons. Now how do we gain the wisdom of God? We, does it say, we ask Him. If you don't ask you don't get. How do I ask someone, Steve, can I have some wisdom? I'm talking to Steve. Prayer. Prayer. Prayer is asking. Prayer is going to him. So what we see is that prayer is the asking. It's the relationship that releases the revelation and the wisdom that comes from the Father. And when we get that, our actions change. Let me tell you something. Do not rely on what you do in the flesh. Because if you rely on that, it's very, very limited. But we have access to what he knows. His intelligence. What he has already. Hallelujah. He knew everything that was going to happen. Hallelujah. In Esther chapter 3, there's a story. And we know that Haman, nasty character, comes along. <laughs> Who introduced this guy? All of a sudden he comes in. Didn't expect that one coming. Haman comes in. Mordecai is outside the gates and you've got Esther in, in, in the palace and the, the king's there. And Haman comes in and he's trying to destroy and annihilate the Jews. 
So you've got a big problem here. Massive problem. This is a major threat. Major valley. No one saw this one coming. But listen, let me tell you, when the enemy is always out to steal, kill and destroy what God is doing. And so he comes and he comes to King Xerxes and he says this. He says, I'll give you 10,000 talents of silver if I can kill these Jews off, these people. They're not the same. We need to get rid of them. He turns around to him and he says this. He says, you can do it. It's fine. In fact, I don't even need your silver. Don't even want it. Ten, I don't want the silver for the treasury. Keep your silver. And then he does this. And I've never seen this before. But he doesn't just say, we'll get the decree written up and the authority decree to get this done. He gives him his ring. Now the ring is the, is the thing that you stamp with the seal of approval to get the thing done. It's almost like he says to him, I'm going to give you, Haman, the authority to do this and you can write your own decree. Just stamp and put my signature on it. Have the ring. I haven't got time for this. And he gives him the authority. Now, some of the people in your life right now, like your Judases, the betrayers, the people that are around you, what's happening is it looks like they have all the authority and the power to take you down. They have the ring. They can do to you what you don't want them to do. But let me tell you some truth here. That moment when he had that ring, he makes up this decree. It says he sends it out to the whole citadel of Susa. The provinces, and he sends this out, this, this decree for the annihilation. So now it's, it's getting worse. Oh, my battle's getting worse. This is terrible. What happens next? It says this, that King Xerxes and Haman sit down and have a drink together. Wow. There are some people in your life right now, they look like they don't care whether they hurt you. They would happily have a drink together and wait for this whole thing to be over. As far as they're concerned, it's actually we're immune to this problem. And so we're just going to sit back and watch what happens. Do you know what it says? They sat and drank while the whole city of Susa was bewildered. Wow. You've got people running around worried. Except, let, just get this, except Mordecai and the people of God who decide that to fast and to pray. Pray. To pray in this moment when everything seems like it's going against them. It's time to get on our knees. It's time to pray and fast. It's time to abstain from things into our mouth. And let me tell you, while they were sitting and drinking and laughing, they were there on their knees abstaining, praying. And as they did, I'll tell you another thing that was happening. Heaven was watching. Heaven was watching. I'll tell you why heaven watches. Because the lineage of Esther and the Jews and everything that was going to happen would release Messiah Jesus. Let me tell you that when the enemy thinks he's got a ring, when the enemy thinks he can have a drink and have a laugh and look at you, and you think everyone's against you, let me tell you what heaven knows, earth doesn't. What heaven knows about your situation, earth doesn't. 
And so heaven watches and it looks and it says, oh, I'm not worried. We're going to release those people. And let me tell you what happens in Esther chapter 6 later on, just a few chapters later. Guess who gets the ring? Boy, it sounds like a great film this, doesn't it? Mordecai. Now, Mordecai does not go to the king and the king says, choose your best ring out of my cabinet. Have a nice little ring. You know, a decorative ring. No, he gives him the ring he retrieves from Haman and says, you have that ring. Do you know something? When God has finished in your situation and there are battles you're facing right now and sometimes you've got to let it look like you're losing a battle to win the war. So you lose some battles, what you think were battles, but to God they're not battles because he's going to win. And so at the end... You get the ring. The authority is given to you. It twists and the tables are going to turn in your situation. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Why? Because we pray. Because we pray. Because we pray. We trust God in our situations. Let me tell you that when you trust God and you get on your knees, just like in that garden, just like in that situation, when you get on your knees, your enemy will fall to ground. Haman ended up on the big pole. The very thing that he erected to try and bring fear to Mordecai. The tables are turned. I got a message for someone here today. Your situation right now, the tables are going to turn. Things are going to change in your favor. Why? Not because you're not because something special about you, not because you're a bit stronger than someone else, but because God is on your side. When people, listen to me, when people fight against you who are not Christians, they're fighting God. I don't want to be in their place. Do you know, let, let him bring the vindication. Let him, let him do the work. But listen to me, if someone fights against you and you believe in Jesus and you trust Jesus with all your heart, they're fighting against God. You will win. Now, you might not always see it in the time and the season, but the peace will sustain you to get to the promise of what God's going to do. I love this in Isaiah 54. Isaiah 54, 16 to 17. Many of us know the verse 17. No weapon formed against us will prevail and you will refute every tongue that accuses you. We love that. But read what it says before in verse 16. It says, see. It is I who created the blacksmith who fans the coals into flame and forges a weapon fits for its work. And it is I who've created the destroyer to wreak havoc. Do you know something? God creates the villains in the story. God creates the villains, but the villains don't affect the victory. He, dis- he creates them. He- he's looking at Judas thinking, I made you. I made you. By the breath of my mouth, I could make you. You stood here with all your officials, and I could tell I could bring a whole legion of angels now. I could bring them all in and we'll we'll talk who's in, in authority. We'll talk who's got the light shining brighter than a lantern. If you saw me in my glorified state, you'd know what light is, son. But no, he doesn't. He holds back in humble he's humble. Because he wants to win the victory. He wants to let the battle look like it's a little battle over. That they lose to win the war. 
I'm up for winning the war. Not, not a little battle. Some of you got to drop your battles to win the war. It's coming. I'm the one who makes the destroyer who wreaks havoc. <laughs> I'm the one. So if I'm the one who knows all the characters and the villains, stick with me. Because they can do what they like. They can do what they like. But they will not change your life. These are just people. Just people that are trying to affect you. Finally, through a life of prayer, we remove temptation for intervention. Someone spot, we've got a spelling mistake up there today. Don't look. That person could see prophetically. Because I didn't see it. We remove temptation for what? Intervention. Now some of us, we do want to intervene. We want to get in on the scene. We want to get in. We want, we want to upgrade our part in this. You know, I was given this part. I, want to, I, just feel that, I just feel I have the anointing to just have a leading part in this role. And I feel that Jesus has got this one a bit wrong. So I'm going to just step up my profile a little bit. And I'm going to jump in on this one. Because Jesus, you need, a help. You need some help. This is getting out of control. And so some of us want to intervene. Now the problem is, look, look, look at me just a moment. The problem is this. When Jesus says to pray against temptation, I'm not being funny, but when they're in that garden, everything's going against them. I don't think they're worried about sinning so much. I don't think they're worried about whether or not they've looked at something on the internet they shouldn't have looked at. The biggest problem in that time, in that moment, is this. Will the flesh react rather than the spirit? Will the flesh jump in and do damage what the spirit wants to do against what the spirit of God wants to do? And so the temptation for many, because he comes back and says, don't fall asleep. Keep praying that you don't fall into temptation. The flesh is weak, but the spirit's willing. Why? Because Jesus... He's got the tracker going. He knows these characters are coming. You can't see them yet. They're on the way. I can see Judas. He's coming. And when they come, I just pray that these guys are going to not react. That they're going to stand firm in the day of trouble. I just, I don't want them to act in the flesh. They need to put on the armor of God. They need to stand strong because they're going to, in this moment, everything that I've taught them is going to be ripped ripped and, and, and shook apart from them. If they're not careful, they will react in the flesh and not the spirit. Now they arrive. This is what Jesus wants them to pray for. This is what he wants them to pray for because he knows their reaction could cause some damage. Now, what happens is this. Peter, we love Peter. He had a sword, it says. He had a sword. That's what it says. He didn't just use it at this point. He had one. He carried a sword. I don't know what you're carrying in addition to what God's given you. And all I need is Jesus. But some of us are carrying our weapons around. We can't move because they're that heavy. We've got all the words to hit back at people. We've got official documents we could show people. We could prove things. We could say this. We could say that. But the reality is this. You don't have to carry any of that when you carry the presence of the Lord. Because when you carry the Lord, 
you can drop your weapons. There's a hashtag. Hashtag, drop your weapon. Drop your weapon. Ditch your weapon. In fact, if you want one, instead of, instead of mine, use what Jesus said. Put your sword away. Because he takes the sword out. He draws the sword. He draws the weapon. And cuts off the high priest servant's ear, Malchus's ear off. Gone. So he draws his weapon. Let me tell you today, it's time to stop drawing your weapon and draw close to God. Draw close to God, not draw the weapon. You don't need to draw the weapon. And he gets the weapon out and he chops his ear off and Jesus is like, no, what are you doing? And the problem is sometimes we intervene. The temptation is to get involved. It's not the temptation to sin. It's the temptation to step in. That's the problem. It's not the temptation to sin. It's the temptation to step in. Because you've got a better strategy. Oh, Jesus, I've got a better strategy than this. We're in this garden. You've got it all wrong. I've got an idea. He doesn't need your ideas. He doesn't need your plans. He doesn't need what you've got. He says his ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. And so what we've got to do is understand that his wisdom is available, James 1. Ask for his wisdom, but don't react. Your wisdom is the weapon. But don't be tempted to fall into intervening and messing it all up. The best thing you can do is stand still and watch. Watch what he does. Just watch what he does. Watch what he does. What are you carrying today to help God? What weapons are you carrying? Now, listen, you might be saying, I ain't got a sword. No one's got a sword in there. I hope you haven't. Otherwise, we'll start to bring in metal detectors in. Aruna, do you think we could sort that out? Thanks, brother. We'll sort the prism device works as if, if everyone's wearing metal. Metal detector, yeah. Listen to me. Listen to me right now. None of us here right now, can. there's battles that you're facing. But every one of them, the battle belongs to the Lord. None of us can do this on our own. You can't. You need God. The battle belongs to the Lord. Don't draw your weapon. Draw close to God. There's a story in Second Chronicles 20. King Jehoshaphat, he's a, someone who's a man after God. He loves God. And he's got, he gets a message that the vast armies are coming in. They end up calling this the Valley of Blessing. And he's got these vast armies coming in towards him. And right at that moment when all is against him, do you know what he says he does? He inquires of the Lord. Verse 3, alarmed, it says, Jehoshaphat resolved to inquire of the Lord. And he proclaimed a fast for all Judah. Verse 4 says this, the people of Judah came together to seek help from the Lord. When everything is against you, inquire of the Lord. Inquire of the Lord. The battle belongs to the Lord. Don't step into the situation. Step 
into the prayer closet. Don't step in. Step away. Step away from the scene. Nothing to see here. Amen. Step away from the scene. Go back to your room. You'll do more damage to the darkness and what's happening around you in that prayer closet than you will with your mouth. The right damage that you need that changes situations and turns things around. James chapter 1 verse 19 says, Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. It's time to stop, look, and listen. What I mean, stop what you're doing, put your weapons down, Look to God and listen to his voice. Stop, look, and listen. Listen to what he's saying into your situation right now. The problem is this, that some of you right now have made the mistake in your life of intervening and getting involved when you shouldn't have. And what happened is you ended up cutting off the ear off someone. You ended up doing damage when you shouldn't have. You ended up taking your weapon out and drawing your weapon rather than drawing closer to God. And what happened is now you've, you've caused more damage. But let me tell you, you serve a God who restores what you did wrong. Whatever you've done wrong, whatever mistakes, let me tell you, they become God's outtakes. What mistakes you've made become the things that he will cut out of the scene. Have you ever seen that when you get a DVD and there's always extra bits, the, the cut out scenes? You watch them and you realize, that, you realize why they cut them out. Because they're not very interested in some of these things. And they realize they're just boring. They're not, if you put them in, it's just not helping the story. Listen, right now, there are people in this room... And God wants to let you know that the things that you've done wrong, the mistakes you made where you intervened, you messed the thing up. And you, you're beating yourself up right now. I shouldn't have said what I said. It's changed the whole scenario of events. It's shifted everything in, away from my favor and what's going to happen for my life. And I want to tell you that what you did, he can cut out. He can remove it. The mistakes become his outtakes. They get thrown into the bin. They get thrown into that bin that they don't come back. The Bible says he, he takes our sins as far as the east is from the west. Micah 7.19 says that he puts them in one version. says a sea of forgetfulness. Wow. I've got a MacBook Pro and I love it. It's amazing. But the other day it didn't work properly. Because I tried to put something in the bin and it said, you've, you've not got enough memory to dispose of the trash. Like, goodness me, I thought Apple were good. I filled up the thing that much, I ain't got enough memory to get rid of things. I'm like, I want to get rid of this thing. It wouldn't let me get rid of it. Let me tell you, God has never got a problem in deleting your past. He's never got too much on his plate that he can't deal with the mistakes you made. And what he does is he cuts them out. He cuts them out and they get thrown in the bin. And the devil's trying to say, can I have them back out of the bin? God says the bin's empty. Trash has been deleted. It's gone. 
Sorry, I did a secure empty trash. You can't get it back. No, but I want to get it back. I want to remind them. And all you're doing is digging around trying to find it. The problem is, you've got to let go of these things. Because what ears you've cut off, the damage you've done, is repairable. And God, in his love and his mercy, readjusts everything again. I love the fact that my sat-nav reroutes if I make a problem. And I do it a lot. And he can reroute your life. Reroute it. Reroute is amazing. Because reroute says there's always another way. There's always another option. So I'm telling you today, if you're here right now, you're saying, oh, I don't know if Jesus could, I messed up, messed up with that person, that relationship, I said the wrong thing, I've destroyed this, I've destroyed that. It's a, it's a mess. Listen, I can't tell you that everything, the consequences of what you did will change. Look at David and Bathsheba. The consequences of sin, the consequences can stick around. The consequences are different to the very thing that you did against God. And so I, I want to encourage you today that God has the ability to restore. He says this in Luke 22, I think it's verse 51. It says this, that Jesus touched the man's ear and healed him. Wow. Now, we know that the ear was cut off. So he didn't just go up and say, oh, there's, a little, there's a little cut on back of it there. Peter just clipped you. No, the, the ear was cut off. So therefore, Jesus had to go and pick up the ear, probably. That's what we think. That Jesus picked up this thing that's been severed and, and detached, separated. is now on the floor. It's messy. But let me tell you, Jesus is not just in the ability, doesn't just have the power to try and touch up a little cut. And try and touch up and restore something a little bit. He's in the business of taking things that are completely damaged, separated from life and the connection to blood flow. Taking them from where they were once connected. And he will take something that's separated and reattach it back. And his miraculous power can release life back into your situation. And he can restore what you broke. He can restore it. I've got something to tell you today. That what you cut off, he can cut out. What you cut off, he can cut out. He can get rid of it. And deal with it and transform or deal with the problem for you on your behalf. Our mistakes become God's outtakes. If I could have just the worship team back, that would be great. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for listening, and we trust that the Word of God has inspired you today. For further information about King's Church, or to access our large archive of other recordings, go to www.kingscambridge.org. If you're listening on iTunes, we would love you to leave us some feedback. God bless and goodbye.